0: Welcome, you're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine, with your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Saturday, April 29th, 2023. I had the absolute pleasure of chatting with volunteer combat medic Brandon Mitchell on Tuesday. And honestly, he had so many interesting things to say. I hated to trim it down to a single episode. So I didn't. Today's episode is part one. Part two will be out sometime next week. Who are you?
1: Who am I? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so my name, my name is Brandon, Brandon Mitchell. And um. to sum it up, I... I film really weird things and I put them on YouTube and Instagram and I take the proceeds uh, in the process of documenting my life and I spend them on the armed forces of Ukraine. I'm not an Azov stall defender. Um, uh, I'm not a Heimar operator. Um, I'm actually a medic. Um, But, yeah, a couple months into the war, I started social media. I, I started documenting it to fundraise.
0: What took you to Ukraine? Did you have connections to Ukraine before the large scale invasion?
1: I have none. Um I I've been an avid boxing fan my whole life and the Ukrainians are I followed a lot of Ukrainian fighters through their career. Um and I did date a Ukrainian girl once for like four months. Many, many years ago. Nothing else. Didn't know anyone <laughs> in Ukraine.
0: So, what made you want to go volunteer?
1: Well, I live here in Sweden. Um, I've I've lived in I've lived in Europe most of my adult life in the in the UK and here. Um, when I moved to Sweden, it was only a couple of years ago. Uh, well, a couple of years before the war, uh, I worked really hard to to integrate to, to learn the language, and then I then I found a job after my first year. I passed a Swedish job interview. But the company was actually from Estonia. Okay, so I I became a stone worker, which is a very popular trade in Estonia. Um, And uh, I I went to the factory. I I went to Tallinn and I I trained there for five weeks and I I learned my first trade. When I traveled around um, in Estonia, I I was always intrigued by Russia. And I went to the border uh, in Narva and there's a beautiful castle and there's a river but there's a real feeling. Um, I don't know if you know in, in Europe, the EU. You can you can go to another country and not even think about it. But um, there was a real feeling of not welcomed. Do you know? Like um, uh, they had barriers, they had Constantina uh, razor wire everywhere. You could see guys on the other side, um, and and I thought Russia probably leaves a pretty big impression on Estonia. You know, such a small country next to the largest country in the world. Um, but other than that, th- there was also 30 Ukrainians employed in the factory, you know, so I got to meet some of them. Um, that was a factor. That was a big factor that I, I had friends from Estonia, friends that I could tell you their names, I could tell you their wife's na- names, their, their kid, a little bit, you know, uh, I can put a, I could put a face on the problem. And I also have many friends from Poland, uh, through boxing my whole life in, in England. So I thought, wow, they'll run through Ukraine and then Poland will be next, and that 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 was my motivation. That um, well, we're going to have to do this someday, um, and I don't have any children, and a, a lot of my friends have children. That was it in a nutshell. I didn't I didn't want my friends to get hurt, but I could put faces to the problem. Do you understand? Like in my own imagination, not that I knew the Ukrainians that well, but. I seen something wider and I I ate dinner with those people who I thought would be affected.
0: Now you have military experience, right? You served in the UK. Is that right?
1: Mm. So I grew up in Canada and I I joined the army reserves uh, when I was a kid. I suppose if you're American, maybe it's like the national guard, like a part-time soldier. And I, I did that from high school and I, I quit school. When you could still do it uh and, and join the army full-time and then and then that led to the uk you now over four and a half years between both armies uh i thought what an opportunity to transfer to the british army from canada you know because you could do that uh, a commonwealth nation australians could do it even people from jamaica um the captain who recruited me from south africa that, that was fascinating you know for a young boy and um i, I took a leap of faith yeah you know. um but unfortunately i joined the army as a bad boy um i had a lot of bad habits i got into a lot of trouble and um and where i come from if you don't go to university right away and if you don't have a, a plan you can sell drugs or you can join the army and i i did both um it eventually, it caught up with me. It um, I got I got into a bit of trouble uh, in the army, particularly with drink and um, and a bit of drugs. And I was twenty one years old. I, I joined at seventeen, um, and, and at twenty one years old, I, I had the option: should I stay or should I go? And and that wasn't given to a lot of people. But I left the army, and um, if I'm honest with you many years from 21 to probably till about 27 I really regretted that but that that's my that's my shining career um, no Iraq, no Afghanistan uh, Spent some time in Northern Ireland um, but no I, I I didn't I didn't come to Ukraine with great military purpose.
0: Did any of that experience prepare you for what you would encounter in Ukraine?
1: Mm, a lot of things uh, what we call actions on uh contact drills for for um uh, for encountering russians. Um I've not encountered that many, but I, I have a few. Um but the biggest thing that prepared me for Ukraine wasn't anything to do with military. It was a bit of age. You know, at 25 years old I quit drinking. I joined a 12 step fellowship. Um I quit all drink and drugs and and um a twelve step fellowship um it, there's a lot of introspection. You know, maybe life doesn't suck. Maybe you suck, Brandon. Maybe we should look at that. Um, and there was a lot of development of interpersonal relationships. Uh, that's what prepared me. You know, like eleven years. I celebrated in, in Bakhmut. Uh, well, Ivanivsky, which is a village just outside of it, um, I celebrated eleven years clean and sober, off all all drugs and alcohol, um, on New Year's. But you no, know, I... People are people anywhere you go in the world. And um, that's what prepared me. Like, I I guess people would say, like my grandmother, you're all grown. You're growing up now, you know. But no, I had to do something to grow up.
0: Why did you decide to be a medic?
1: Well, um, it just so happened. Uh, I went to Ukraine from Sweden. Uh, There was a lot of people. The embassy put us in these chat groups. Okay, uh, it was called Signal. I didn't know what the hell that was. Um, but they're like, oh, it's like WhatsApp, you like it. Um <laughs> but there was about 150 of us in this one. And at the end of it, only five of us went to Ukraine. Um, two of them were medics. Um, two of them were, were quite high-level medics. Uh, one had become a nurse in civilian life after the army. And... Um, I didn't know what to do, but five of us, we, we all agreed from Sweden. Five, uh, they were all Swedes, ethnic Swedes. Um, and then there was me. We agreed to meet in Krakow. And what would we do? We don't know. Nobody knew. But I had a contact, a Canadian contact in Lviv. Uh, so that was something that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to Lviv and we'll figure it out from there. And, and this, is, this is early to mid-March, right? Um, there wasn't a lot of information uh, about anything just the idea of world war three but we got to Lviv and I had no social media for a couple of years I'd I'd thrown it all out um but one of the boys he he actually just quit the police force to come uh and uh, which was kind of cool um he met someone on Instagram and this man on Instagram said he was Canadian would you like to join hospitalers medical battalion and uh, and they're like, yeah, 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 let's go do that. They're rocking and rolling in Kiev and Bucha and Irpin, and I thought to myself, well, I could go with them, but I don't want to get anyone killed because of my lack of of combat skills. You know, like um, like I thought, I thought there was all these guys coming through, all these like hardcore guys. You know what I mean? Like I was in Iraq, Afghanistan. I did this. I didn't know that half of them, most of them were lying. Um, it, it attracted some real interesting people at the first. But um, I wasn't an underwater knife fighter like all of them. Um, so I said, well, I'll, I'll try this humanitarian stuff. The Swedes went off. I did some convoys uh, to Kharkiv. But uh, I said, this humanitarian thing isn't really for me. And, and, and there's too many personalities involved. The army, that would be good. That would be good. Just I'll take. I think I'll take my chances, and um, I said I, I I rang up one of the suites. I said, "Can I join hospitalers?" And he said, "Yeah, I think we can get you in." Um, and I said, "Okay, well I'll I'll go to Kiev," and I and I took a train to Kiev, and it was really scary. Was like, "Oh my God, you're going to Kiev!" But I already been to Kharkiv, you know. I chose that because that's as far as I could go. But I mean, uh, Kiev was going to fall, and and we were all going to be. I said, "I'll do it," and when I showed up. The next day, I met two of the Swedes and I met Oleg. And uh, Oleg said to me, uh, yes, the, the Swedish guys tell me good things about you. And uh, what will you do here in our battalion? And uh, I said, uh, I, I think I'll be a driver. You know, I can drive an ambulance. I, I've driven a work van for years. And I was in the exhibition industry. You know, you have to drive really fast and big vehicles to get places from time to time, every day. Um, and he said, we don't have any driver positions, uh, but a gunner position has just come available, and I was thinking, what does that mean? It just became available, um, so I said, "Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that." And um, and then I ended up in a medical battalion, but but I have no medical background. You see, um, so so how does that work? Well, these guys. From center of Kiev were, were running for two days, three days, to Bucha, to Irpin. You could hear it all in the background. And sometimes things would hit pretty close to us. But there was, there was courses going on in the basement, kind of like a bunker of a church uh in Ukrainians were on the ground like sitting in circles with Ukrainian instructors teaching them everything from ivs to i mean it was really surreal you know like you'd go to jail for this stuff in in like the western world malpractice right um but there was an there was an american nurse from colorado uh, rebecca and she's she's one of the, she's one of the best friends i have in my life um she was a trauma nurse and she's fantastic And her and a French doctor, uh, they decided to start a training syllabus in English uh, for regardless, for paramedics, uh, for any role that you would have. And they started a 10 day course for 12 hours a day. Um, You know, um, my second day, I I was attempting IV lines and uh, to the, to this big, yeah. Yeah. And I was scared and they're like, no, you're going to learn. And, um, that was okay but until i drew blood on rebecca she she gladly gave her arms out to many students she bled for ukraine um but um they trained us they trained us they trained us they trained us um it had to be over 10 days 12 hours a day i was exhausted but that that wasn't unique you know that was hap- that was happening all over the country that was that was yeah that's how i ended up in a medical battalion and it was it was, um, it was very hard and it was very fast.
0: What has been really challenging for you in this?
1: There's different things in different parts, uh, different aspects of the war. Um, I didn't understand this when I first came here. I don't know what your imagination was like, but I thought that all of Ukraine was just going all the time and, and it was life or death, whether you were in Kharkiv or Lviv. Um, I didn't know. Um, if medics were working all day long, everybody would be dead. It's, it's a fact. See, what we do, we uh, we send out teams, teams of four, teams of seven, teams of two, um, to do different different medical roles. Now they work in hospitals. Uh, we'll have an ambulance crew. We'll have four-wheel drive, Kazovac vehicles very close to the front. And sometimes you can wait. Um, I know people who've done one month rotations where they haven't seen one casualty. Uh, That's a good thing. I I say the biggest challenge, it's like you're waiting for days. Sometimes you're waiting for, I've waited. I've gone sometimes I've gone three weeks the longest without a casualty, Um, but it's not convenient when it starts. I don't know how else to say it. It's the most inconvenient thing um, because maybe we're, there's going to be an attack on the Ukrainian side. So, so we know about that. We know to prepare, uh, more medics come, but maybe it's an attack on the Russian side. Maybe there's an accident and it's very, very hard. I don't care who you are, uh, when you've had nothing for like five days, a week, two weeks, and all of a sudden you've got 20. Um, that's, that's the hardest thing, like on the face of it, um, there's uh one time i was in um the, there was a battle in zaparisha oblast in in my first two months of the war but, but we got told in advance maybe about 18 hours before the attack you know they don't tell everyone um but they told the medics to prepare and to report um for three days it was personally the the bloodiest work i'd ever done um but it was easy. It was easy because we were part of a team uh, of doctors, surgeons, anesthesiologists, and, and the flow was steady. You know, people would come and, and, and there was a routine. Um, I have nothing to compare to because I'm not a civilian paramedic. Um, but I, I, I would imagine if you were in a busy city, um, especially in America, like a big city, you would go to a 12-hour shift and you would expect... Um, things are going to happen, you know, but that's really hard. You know, sometimes we have nothing for, for two days, five days, 10 days, and then, and then it just starts so suddenly. Yeah.
0: What do you do while you're waiting?
1: Well, uh, I must, I must admit, um, it's a lot easier now, now that we have what's called Starlink, um, (laughs) Starlink um, but before, um, like on a personal level, uh, I remember my first couple rotations. Um, I was the only foreigner. So there might be one other English speaker, maybe, you know, two other English speakers. Um, I made friends with the animals, you know, cause we live in, we live in rural areas. Um, uh, there, a lot of people abandoned their dogs and cats. The army took care of them or, or I would study. I would try to learn more things. Um, if I was lucky, I'd get half a three G signal on my on my phone. It takes a while to load, but but YouTube's actually quite a friendly app when you have like compared to say Instagram or social media when you have limited signal. Uh, I watch a lot of medical videos. That's what I did, yeah. And I try to learn a lot of new things, self taught. Um, Later on in the war, I had a social media. Uh, it was two months into the war. I started an Instagram to fundraise. Uh, you want to go further into it. I started a YouTube, and that is a lot of work. YouTube is so much work um, to edit a film. Uh, that can take hours, that can take and and I have to put it away and I have to look at it in another day with fresh eyes. Just because I know what's going on in the video doesn't mean you do. And, and I, I'm i no professional, but I, I've been quite successful with YouTube uh, fundraising. So if I can say so, when I'm waiting uh, a lot, I've actually, it doesn't feel so brave or heroic. Uh, but on MedPoints, a lot of times I'm just sitting in a corner and I edit everything on my phone. And that that's waiting for work. Yeah, just waiting, waiting, always waiting. It's a a weird war. It's a really weird war. It's not what I expected.
0: What kind of casualties are you seeing? Like, has it changed from early 2022 till now?
1: No, in principle, it's all the same. Um, There's very few bullet wounds, which I would have thought in war. Um, Most of it comes from the artillery. Um, If they have even the lightest trap, no. More often than not, and I don't want to guess and say like 51% or 70%, it's it's up high in the body um, or the arms because they're in a trench. Okay, so if they were up a bit too high, um, that's very common. Um, the biggest difference for us, because Ukraine in general stopped putting medics on zero line. Um, most medics are about two kilometers back, maybe one kilometer back, um, the work is better on, on that. The soldiers are being taught. Um, they're being taught uh, tactical combat casualty care. So for example, if it's as simple as a tourniquet, everybody knows what a tourniquet is now, who follows Ukraine, Who didn't know before. It, they tend to be applied well, okay? The, um, the blood has stopped. Uh, the bandages, the, the pressure bandages tend to be done really, really well. So if it's, if it's simple and it's an extremity wound, the leg, the arm, more often than not, 70% of the time, if that's all it is, all we've got to do is drive them out, uh, which is a good thing. That's a really good thing, you know. Um, it gets a bit more complicated uh, if they have internal wounds, okay? Um, if they have an hemothorax, that means air actually coming into the chest cavity. Uh, still trying to teach soldiers more and more to to search the body you know to identify those things because those problems develop uh, they might be fine now but 30 minutes 40 minutes an hour later they can die and 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 it can turn quite quick the care is i'm just talking from the medical point of view um it's improving uh from point of injury it's it's so much better i, I don't know when that happened but i i noticed by like october once i was like in in solodar and bakhmut i said well it's get it's pretty good here. Like like that their brigade obviously had really, really good training. The biggest issue for us of course is the concussions. Um that's not talked about a lot anywhere, I don't think. But Ukrainians take really good care of their soldiers um when you've had a traumatic brain injury of a sort. Uh, my last night work, um, we waited for three hours for well we had nothing we had nothing for three hours I had I had one 200 uh one that was dead just truck him off and then we waited for three hours uh one man had lost his eye but it but he was stable and there was 11 concussions for our area of responsibility so and varying degrees they're basically they're like they're drunk mm-hmm. um you got to get the gun off them and you got to talk to them and persuade them but I don't know what the ratio is um to amputations, um to traumatic wounds, to concussions, but it's it's really quite high. And, and many guys in Ukraine, it's it's kind of like um I don't know, I don't know what else to call it. I, I think in America they call it a pissing contest against men. Um, you know, it's an ego thing. One guy says, Well, I had two concussions. Another guy's like, Well, I had four. And the other guy's like, Oh, I had 10. Um it's a real matter of pride. It it's it's um I I suffered a traumatic brain injury. Um I drove over to anti-personnel mines in August and and I, I lost a lot of my hearing in my right side and, and I spent a month in hospital. And um it sounds a bit silly, but it's 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 a bit of pride for me too. Um that I would come back to work and Any of the boys that I work with that know that, um, the Ukrainian boys, my stock went up. My stock went up big time, you know, because a lot of them thought, oh, the foreigners, you know, they get the best of everything, they get held back and protected. Um, But it's really quite a serious matter. Um, I don't know what's gonna happen after the war, when we start addressing mental health, um, other issues, Um, but this concussion issue is gonna be very, very serious. For the long term, for the long term effects.
0: Do you see yourself staying in Ukraine and continuing to volunteer after the war?
1: Yeah, yes, yes. I, I think about this every day. Um, I had a very good life in Sweden before the war. Uh, I've I've come home to sort out some um, some issues. The government's not been too happy with me uh, being away for so long. I'm not a I'm not a citizen. I'm a resident, uh, but I, I'll go back uh in about a month depending on them i want to stay in ukraine as long as it takes now now that's a bold statement but we'll just do we'll do one year at a time what i really want to do and i've been inspired by a friend of mine who's a volunteer in ukraine he's just gone to kosovo and he's studying an eod explosives ordnance disposal course and apparently, this is one of the best courses you can take. It's a it's considered a humanitarian EOD course because this work is done all over the world. You know, disposing of mines. And he he, he starts that course next week. Uh, I helped him fundraise with it uh, through my YouTube. There will be there will be things to dispose of in Ukraine. I think for one hundred years they say. Um, this work can't be done in winter when the ground's frozen. So. You know, whatever happens at at the very little, like, um, I could, I could come back to Ukraine every summer. I, I like to, that's what I'm thinking in the back of my head. You know, that would be a nice thing to come for, for a couple months every year into my old age. Um, it's, I've been affected by mines. Uh, I have friends, um, who've been killed by mines, medics evacuating, um, and a mind doesn't care whether you're Russian or Ukrainian, if you're a child, um, if you're my dog. Yeah, that's what I'd like to do. Uh, I, I don't know. if I don't think I want to stay in Ukraine permanently, but anybody who wants to do that work uh, can train and do it. For under $10,000, you can get the, the basic course um, and away you go.
0: What kind of stuff are you fundraising for or have you been fundraising for?
1: So... I first started Instagram uh, uh, two months into the war, but there was a YouTuber that I liked. Uh, he was a bit of a travel blogger and I knew he lived in Kiev. So I wrote him. He, he was the second person who donated to me. He donated $2,000. Okay. So a stranger. Uh, We'd become friends, but but I locked out. Um, My first fundraiser, it was supposed to be for helmets, but it turned into four wheel drives, not one, but two. Okay, in, in my first two months of fundraising, month and a half, uh, I got enough money to go to Germany, uh, well, to go to Poland, but to get two, two, um, two four-wheel drives from Germany. And, uh, and then the next thing I came back with was a diesel generator. Because on the medical point, I worked my first medical point, uh, we call them stabilizations. Um, you're in a rural village, there's no power. Uh, medical points need power and they had this old antique generator b- but I bought a brand new one for them I use my credit card for that I don't advise that um, but, but working on a medical stabilization um, I probably worked solely on medical stabilizations for uh, cumulatively about three months in the war like just solely that, not going in an ambulance or a Kazovac vehicle and power was the basis to everything So once I made good on my first fundraiser on Instagram, people started to trust me, I think, uh, I hope. But more money kept coming. Uh, Now, for me, uh, I don't know what people see in me, but I've seen many volunteers have to go home for one reason or another. Um, And many people I know, from organizations to individuals, I see their funding going down and down. Um, I shouldn't be too brave, uh, but or confident, but that's the contrary for me. Uh, Every month, I get a little bit more money than I did the month before. Um, So one diesel generator, it's now turned into over 100. Now, in dollar terms, that's between $1,500 and $2,000. It has to be diesel, because that's our fuel source, especially in isolated areas and close to the front. You can't get petrol, gasoline. Um, Some units will kindly... You know, they say that everyone in Ukraine is corrupt and they'll just take, take, take. Uh, many people will refuse a gasoline generator from me, uh, despite what they're worth, because they have nothing to fuel it with. Generators turned into radios, Motorola's, um, those can cost about $500 for the ones we need. And that's been well over 100 now. Um, a lot of things, like I fundraise for, is tires for people. Not so often, but I probably bought no less than about thirty tires. Uh, we go through tires like crazy. Um, one week, my most I've had I've had five flat tires in one week. I know people who've had more. I I, I once went three months without a flat tire. Uh, I guess I wasn't doing anything. Um, it's wars a total waste of money. It's a total waste of money. I I, I don't I don't want to discourage people from supporting us, but. Um, I've paid for personally, myself, three vehicles. I've had two donated to me. Um, Two of those vehicles have been destroyed now, you know, so we're lucky. Um, I know people, uh, Ukrainian boys, who've been through, they're on their fourth four-wheel drive for the war, yet they're still alive. Tyres, radios. uh, I buy a lot of food. Um, Recently uh i've decided to take a more proactive role with my fundraising i started buying night vision um night vision binoculars and i started buying thermal scopes for rifles heat seeking scopes everything happens at night all my friends except one have personally been killed at night um whether that be by artillery uh they've been shot car accidents do you know how? Do you know how many people have died in car accidents in this war? Uh, one of my best friends that I, I came here with from Sweden, uh, he he died in December because uh, you can't drive with the lights on. And a tank came, and it was a Ukrainian tank. Uh, came out of the field, but with night vision. Um, it's not cheap, but but the minimum about three thousand dollars. I'm able to drive with those that I bought around. Oh, about 30 miles an hour with comfort. Uh, There's better sets. If you want to spend an extra 500 to 1,000, you can drive 50 miles an hour with comfort and see every bump on the road. Um, The first night I gave two sets out. I only had three uh, to an M113. Uh, I had to deliver it. That's an armored carrier. Um, And they asked for them pretty quick. And and I brought them out to the point for our team. Uh, The driver thought it was amazing, uh, evacuated three Ukrainian boys and the machine gunner killed three Russians with it, with one of your 50 cals. Um, so we were up six on the first night on the first night. That's the return we got, um, for, for about five, $6,000. So it was 5,000 euros for those two sets. More often than not, uh, that's what they're asking for. um, I'm lucky enough to have such a platform that I could fundraise for those things. I, I also promote other volunteers that I've, that I've worked with. Um, but if I don't know them and I don't respect them, I won't. So I used to work in civilian evacuation work. Um, I've done a lot of that. Um, maybe I became famous for that, like on on the internet, uh, but in the, in the month of, in the month of January, uh, between Solodar and Bakhmut, Ten foreigners were killed. Um, and they were either humanitarian workers or civilian evacuators. Um, there were some Ukrainians killed too, but that doesn't make the news because they're Ukrainian. Sorry, I'm cynical. Um, I I know other volunteers. If, if, if I say support them, like Harley, he got his EOD course paid for. You know, um, it took a while, but but if there's someone else I see doing good work, um it's not been what you call a zero-sum game, uh, because they get support and I get more support. I, I don't know how that works. Um so so those are what I fundraise for. I fundraise for my own efforts. Um, but there's probably about I'd say seven, seven independent volunteers that I've I've been lucky enough with because I have a only two of us that I know have a really big platform. Um And me and this one gentleman have talked about this um, after one of our friends died in Solidar, a humanitarian worker, and and him and I have more funding and we weren't kind of involved with the death. I said, you know, we we could have done more to help him, like in the past. Um, I'm just being honest. Um, So I've, I've been particularly, I've decided to be more supportive of volunteers. And so is he of other volunteers. Um. There's only so many effective people here in Ukraine that have stayed uh, local and foreign. The rest are all gone, but most of the ones that are here are highly effective people. Sorry, long answer. I, I just went on about it.
0: How did you go from having no social media to, within a few months, being able to raise, I don't know, how much money on the internet?
1: I have to do another financial account. I did one in October and, and everyone really liked that. I, I'd say we're around $300,000 to $350,000. Uh, but then I get a lot of free things too. Like if I've only ever paid for one medical, one drug ever uh, for like a thousand euros. I wanted to order it just to see if I could get it. Um, but all the medical comes free. So when I started Instagram, I'll tell you a secret. Um, When people would start to follow me, I had no content because it's, it's, I won't do any, I won't film anything or upload anything that I'm not allowed to. Like there's, there's rules over here. A lot of people don't follow them. Okay. um, I won't film casualties. So all I had was cats and dogs. So I'd film the cats and dogs with the timing of the shelling because I noticed Instagram analytics. If I showed a cat or a dog, people would watch for longer. So I was basically playing on people's emotions. Um, I'm a very bad person, um, like that. Uh, but what happened around that time, and I, I started for a couple of months volunteering with civilian evacuation work and there was no restrictions on what we could film. There's no law denying. So I had explosions and flames and grandmothers, babushkas and dogs and cats and, and, um, and then all of a sudden like some of the videos are get viewed 60,000 times 100,000 times and and then some people were donating $100 $500 individual people like like I was a nobody and I think like my I, I got like $2,000 one day in donations but this was all I, I just wanted to buy 10 diesel generators for winter you know I thought that would be a good idea um but I always keep the camera rolling And when I got blown up in a minefield and you see a big yellow ball of flame and my truck blows up, um, that was the best thing I ever did for Ukraine. Uh, That was on the news in my home country, everywhere. People offered to buy the rights to it. Um, And then I was in hospital for a month. Um, And then Ukrainian news wanted to do a story on me and 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 terrestrial tv is still the same as in america it's in ukraine only old people watch it now so a lot of grandmothers in ukraine know who i am yeah because i was rescuing grandmothers in donbass um but it, it just went from strength to strength and and the more things i bought if i proved what i bought and what i used it i would even do monologues on youtube like well i don't i'm i'm thinking about buying this i'm thinking about buying this but but I'd start explaining to people like the practical considerations. Not everybody was watching those videos, but there was about five, 10,000 people that hung on to every word and they're like, well, that makes sense. And and if I can say to finish on this, um, I've learned more about um, the whole wars about human nature, but I've learned a lot more about human nature from the YouTube comments uh, because they're well thought out and constructed. And people would offer me unsolicited advice, Um, 80% of it, um, okay, 60%, 60, 40, 60% of it was absolutely moronic. Um, Then somewhere along the way, there was really good advice, the rest of it, but only maybe 30% of it was applicable to our life in ways that I couldn't explain to you. But Obviously, probably about 10% of the advice I get from the YouTube comments, I've can i I've actually been able to like implement it, uh, like practical things, like, Brandon, you should go buy this because you can change tires quicker. And I'm like, so I'll Google it. And it's like, now under fire, I can change tires in like two minutes as opposed to eight minutes. Um, you know, there's a lot of dad advice there. I used to film because I don't know anything about the internet with a camera like this. It's great for Instagram. But then someone in my YouTube comment says, "You know, c- can you film them in uh, landscape or portrait, whatever? Like this, it looks horrible on my 4K TV in Florida." Um, and I was thinking, "You bastard!" You know, like <laughs> two people died. Today. Oh, and and after about a day, I read the comments again, and I got, I got over my own emotion. Um, he just told me how to be successful on YouTube. Like they're telling you what they want, um, and then my viewers as simple as that, because I don't know anything about tech, then my viewing's doubled, my subscribers doubled. So that's what I mean when it's a weird war. It's a weird, weird war, because I would say over 50% of us, uh, Ukrainian or foreigner, are on social media, one form or another. And if you don't have good social media, you don't get support. But I just make silly videos and laugh at myself, because if you take if you take yourself too serious you're gonna you're gonna go mental in the head <sighs> if you're not laughing um yeah no we we have some we have some pretty funny times um one time i went i went to nepro and someone said can you buy boots how many pairs of boots 10 pairs of boots what sizes um so i went to an army surplus shop they they give a great discount uh for the army and um one pair came back with, uh, it was two left feet, uh, two left boots. So I said, okay, well, no problem. We'll just go to Bakhmut and we'll we'll find a 300, a wounded. We'll find, we'll find two guys that are missing the right leg, but we've just got to find the right. That, that's not hard, but the size might be a bit tricky. And um, God, a lot of my jokes don't translate in Ukrainian, but the doctor thought that that one was funny enough. I don't know what ever happened with those boots, by the way. I don't know if that ever came true. We have, a, we have a lot of laughs.
0: laughs. What are some of the best times, like the, the best experiences that you've had?
1: Um, you know, for me, it's just uh, it's just hanging out with the guys um, to see them laugh. So I'm a medic. Uh, I work in a medical unit. Nine times out of ten, I sleep under a roof. You know, I sleep in a medical closet. Um, it's the prices, right? Um, but to me, the heroes are the guys who go to zero all the time, who rotated in and out of the trenches. Um, if I can make them laugh, and I don't care if they're laughing at me because I'm an idiot or if I can genuinely make them laugh, um, you know, I I, I filmed the um, one of my one of my least viewed YouTube videos was called Bakmu Pizza Delivery, and it's just a 15 minute video uh, stopping by different medical points. Yeah, I was like, "Hey, I got your pizza, mother <laughs> And and they know all the time they're like, "Motherfucker!" And, and and to show up with pizza, and they haven't had pizza in like a month. Do you know what I mean? And uh, and they say to me like, "Plus, plus, uh, plus is positive, minus is minus." Um, and that's what, that's what I really like, you know, like, I, I, I like, uh, I like doing random things like, um, like the last KFC in the free world is in a city called Pavlov, uh, it's about two hours from three hours from the Russians and, and I'll try to bring back like buckets of chicken, you know, KFC, like who doesn't like that? Um, that's what I like the most, um. There's one guy, uh, he doesn't speak a word of of English. It's all Russian. His name's Samurai, Um, and he is a cold, he's a stone cold killer, Um, but he's one of the nicest guys you ever want to meet in the world. And um, I used to do things like, you know, wet willy. Like I go up behind him and wet willy him, and his commander speaks perfect English, and his commander would let Samurai beat the shit out of me like a teenage boy, you know what I mean? and uh but he'd only let it go so far but yeah i'm i'm thir- I'm 37 on sunday but i'm like a teenager with some of them and uh and he can kick the shit out of me all he wants because he's smiling when he's doing it <laughs> uh, i um yeah that's it i don't i don't care if they laugh at me or they're laughing with me if, as long as they're laughing
0: happy birthday
1: well thank you but well, it's not till sunday
0: Okay,
1: but, okay fair no i'm gonna use it i'm gonna i'm gonna use it as a ploy um there's a ukraine rally which is on every sunday here in stockholm and i'm going to announce it on my social media because it's still well attended about three four hundred people come every week and i'm one of the speakers this week so i've already met two people on the streets here in in stockholm who recognized me mm-hmm. um yeah. Uh, so I'm just hoping more people will come, and maybe they'll buy. Maybe they'll buy thermal scopes or night vision or or generators for us. Don't let any. Don't let a good thing or a bad thing go to waste.
0: This is the end of part one. You can follow Brandon on Instagram and YouTube at Ukraine underscore T B I C. Part two will be out sometime next week. Until then.